Church. So thankful to see each of you here um, this morning as we have a great opportunity and privilege to worship our God because of his gift of love, because of his compassion and kindness, because of his mercy and his grace. You're all welcome, both members and visitors alike. Um, I don't know if this is an announcement, but speaking of Matt, forgetting things, Matt, are these yours? No. Uh, lost and found. There are glasses up here. If someone is uh, missing their glasses, I think that's the reason they're up here, so we can announce that. Let's go together, please, to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy, for your care and for your love, for allowing us to be here this day, to assemble, to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray, Lord God, that our worship will and has been pleasing and acceptable in your sight and in accordance to your will and your way. Help us, please, to keep our minds focused only on you and on your great son and on your way and on your will. Thank you for this opportunity to worship you. In Jesus' holy name, we pray. If it be thy will. Amen. When you think of God, there's lots of lists. You can go, you can Google it. You can Google the name of God and and when you Google it, you'll find all these great names uh, that are characteristics and also just descriptive terms of who God is. When you think about the simplest form of who God is, and you look at the, uh, the text, you'll find this in the present. Um, when, you, when, you're, when you're thinking about it, it's a perfect present tense. And so, so the reality is, and we're not talking about God's names necessarily this morning, but... When God says that I am, uh, in essence, he's saying that, that he's the God who was, is, and he's the God who is, is, and that he's the God who will be, is. That's kind of weird, but that's who God is. He is everything, right? I mean, outside of time and, and how, how great and, and how wonderful. I'm going to Hebrews chapter 4, because what I want to talk about this morning is that God is what he does, and, and God does what he is. It's pretty amazing. It's this idea that God doesn't ask us to do anything that he himself has not done. It's, a, it's an exciting thought about God. So Hebrews 4, and the verse is 15. The Bible says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And so, so Jesus, God, who is, also became human, or flesh, if you will. A body was made for him. And he went through all the things in principle, if you will, that we will ever go through, that we've ever gone through, and that folks have gone through in the past. And the difference is, he, he's perfect. He never Sin. In other words, imagine that for just a moment, that he never gave in to whatever it is, right? Whatever it is that was going on in his mind, in his, in his heart, uh, around him, he never gave in to sin or to Satan. He, he kept his focus on God and on God alone. 1 John chapter, chapter 4, please. So he took it to another level. He took it to that 100%, if you will, where he kept the law of God perfectly, which tells us, shows us, that we can do it too. So then what will be the key factor? You know, how do I, how do I, how can I 
keep God's law perfectly. Well, I think we've got to go back to the perspective that God had, that Jesus had while he was on the earth. How did he keep the law perfectly? What was in the, the forefront of his mind? First John chapter 4, in verse 16, we have come to know and I believe the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So Jesus, think about this for a moment, could not fathom the idea of breaking his father's heart because he's love. And so to sin would be to break the heart of the Father. To sin would be to bring an ultimate end to humanity from a spiritual sense because none of us could be saved. But it was that great love was his motivator, that great love that he had not just for the Father, but that great love that he has for us to where that was God's motivator. That was Jesus' motivator to keep that law perfectly. Love. That's got to be our motivator, right? that great motivator to, to fear God and to keep his commandments and to keep him first, to love God more than I even love myself. In verse 17, by this love is perfected with us, that we have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because Fear involves punishment, and the one who loves, or excuse me, the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Okay, the solid answer is perfect love. That's the goal. That's the goal for God's people. But Jesus does something amazing. God does something amazing. Go to Jeremiah chapter 2. He takes it yet to another level. So, you know, what's, what's, what level can you go to? It's greater than love. And there's nothing greater than love. We're not going to a greater level, but just another level. And that is that God is what he does. And he does what he is. And I want to give you a few examples of that. And this is going to be very, very elementary. Uh, and so you, you've already thought about this. Uh, and I hope, though, you can take the lesson and, and, and grow it even deeper. Jeremiah 2, what about water? Verse 13, metaphorically speaking, listen to what it says. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so uh, that's useless, right? They have forsaken God. But God says that he's the living water. And Jesus gives us this explanation in John chapter 4. He goes at, to that next level to help us to understand what that really kind of, what it means and how it, 
it might associate with us in one way or another. Jesus says in John 4, verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, the, the water of the well, shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus provides the water. God provides the water. God is the water. And God says, I want you to know that if you've got me, you've got everything. John 7. Taking us from this life, that is, to the eternal life that will be, or that will come, as we continue on living. Wells of water springing up into eternal life. In verse 37 of chapter 7. Now on the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And so think about the satisfaction, right? The mental, the, the spiritual satisfaction as we long for God. We long for answers. We're longing for the things that, that take us from this life to the next life. And Jesus says, if you come to me, you'll never thirst. In verse 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. The fulfillment that we'll find in Jesus Christ. In verse 39, it goes on, but this he spoke of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so we received the gift of the Holy Spirit through the waters of baptism. We should be satisfied. Our cup is not full or filled. Our cup is overflowing. Because of the Spirit of God that lives or that dwells within us. Exodus, please, chapter, chapter 16. So Jesus says that water that you're, that you're looking for, spiritually speaking, people are looking for the answers to our eternal destiny, if you will. Those answers are found only in God. In Exodus chapter 16, that bread, they cry to God for bread. God, give us bread. In Exodus 16 and verse 14, and when the land of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like fine as the frost on the ground. And when the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. What? What is this thing? It was different. We probably could talk about this verse in so many different levels and different ways about them not knowing what it was. But Jesus talks about this very, this very topic over in John chapter 6 about this very bread that, that was to satisfy them physically but then he takes it to another level in the, with the idea that He'll satisfy you not only physically, but spiritually. John 6 in verse 35. 
Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. And the Jews, therefore, were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. He's that bread. He's that water. He's that fulfillment. Now, from a, from a physical standpoint, that, that great sustenance, from a spiritual standpoint, the great sustenance that Jesus is everything. He should mean everything to us. Everything. In verse 48, the text goes on to say, I am the bread of life. And verse 51, it goes on to say, And I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. And when they heard this, I'm going to Isaiah 35. When they heard this, they, they couldn't handle it. They, Jesus, whatever you're talking about right now, Jesus, we, we don't understand this. And they, and they wanted no part of that. And many who were listening walked away. The water of life, the bread of life, he's the way. Is there any other way? You know, I talk to people, or you talk to people, and you try to teach them the gospel, and we, we try to show them what the Lord says, and, and they seem to find another way. I mean, it's not in the Bible, it's just in their own mind, right? They find another way. There is no other way. There's only one way. And Jesus is that way. And yet, you have very faithful followers of religious organizations and groups throughout the world, and that is not the way. But they have come to believe that that is the way. Well, the Bible speaks of a highway in Isaiah 35 and verse 8. And a highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it. And it will be for him who walks that way. And fools will not wander on it. It's Zion's happy future. It's what God has in store for us. That, that God put a highway there and no one's going to stumble onto it. John 14. Jesus makes it crystal clear. We talk to our friends in the world who are who are following other, other ways, we can tell them for sure emphatically, as Jesus says, I am the way 
and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's no other way. There is no other way. God is the way. God is what he does. And he does what he is. He's the only way. And so we talk to folks in our community and they, and they have other ideas. Those ideas don't work because there's only one way. There's only one way. John 10. And there's only one door. And God speaks to us about the door and he says, you know, there are many doors. But when it comes to spirituality and the spiritual walk of faith, there's only one door to God. There's only one door to heaven. In John 10, Jesus says, I am that door. Right? Beginning of verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a, a thief and, and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follows him because they know his voice. And a stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of the stranger. He's the shepherd. He's the door. He's the way. And there is no other way. It's pretty simple when you think about it, right? It, this is not very difficult. I told you, we're going, this is so simple this morning. But many have confused it. Verse 7. Jesus therefore said to them, again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. Abundantly? Someone said a long time ago when I was a young baby in Christ, they said, you know, the reason why I don't want to become a Christian is because Christians don't have fun. And then I said, you know what, That's, you're right. I didn't really know any Christians, but I just thought they must be right. I mean, they don't do any of the stuff we do, right? <laughs> they don't have fun. And then you start reading the Bible and you become a child of God and you realize that we not only have fun, we have an abundance. And we also don't have to run from the cops. That kind of fun. In Christ, do you find an abundance of life? Do you feel empty? Church, we should be so filled up because of God. This is an amazingly abundant life in Jesus. This life is so fulfilling and so satisfactory. And Well, I guess the question is, what exactly are you looking for? I guess that's the question. When someone says, I'm looking to have a lot of fun, I'm asking the question, are you looking for eternity? Or are you just looking for this life here? There's an abundance in this life and the life to come in Jesus. John chapter 5. If you're interested, there's an abundance of life and fulfillment in Jesus if you're looking for it. What are you looking for is the question. 
John 5, the resurrection, the resurrection. What, a, what an amazing concept. Right? What an amazing, resurrection? What, everything hinges on the resurrection, right? What an amazing thought. What an amazing idea. What an amazing understanding of life. We're not going to be here forever. But because of the resurrection, everything's going to be all right for God's people. John chapter, chapter 5 and verse 26. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so, he gave to his Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. The resurrection? How often do we talk about the resurrection? Someone says, are you a Christian? They say, oh, I believe in the resurrection. Well, what does that mean? Well, do you believe in the resurrection? I mean, just shift the conversation <laughs> to the resurrection. <laughs> do you believe in the resurrection? What resurrection? What does that mean? What, is, what, are, what are we supposed to understand about this great resurrection? That Jesus is the resurrection. Remember talking to Martha? Mary, John 11, regarding uh, the death of Lazarus. And in verse 25, Jesus responds to the questions that are being asked. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And that's a mind blower, isn't it? Right? I am the resurrection, number one. I am the life. Okay, so there's a resurrection and there's a life. So there's death and there's a resurrection, and there's life. And Jesus says, I got them all under control. I am the resurrection, and I am the life. If anyone dies, he says, don't worry about it, you're going to live. If you're in Jesus. Right. Being in Jesus, he, he blows the mind of individuals. When you really start thinking about the resurrection in life, even if you die, you live. Well, we die, if you will. In one way, we're baptized in the waters of baptism. Thank you, God, for that. And we're resurrected. And from that point forward, you do realize we live on until the end. And there is no end, is there? There's no end. But you've got to be in Christ. And he goes on to say in verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And remember, she just now said, Lazarus is dead. And Jesus says, you don't even understand. Church, do we understand what Jesus is saying to us? This life isn't it. This right here is just a, a stopping point, if you will, or maybe the beginning of the moral man who is born and now lives, but, but this life isn't it. This is not where you should be focusing your attention, but rather we should be focusing our attention on what Jesus is trying to tell us, that it's the next life that's important to us. Are you ready for that? And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. But Lazarus is in the tomb and he's been there for four, he's been dead for four days, Jesus. 
You don't get it. You, Martha, you, you don't get it. Do you believe this, Martha? Lord, I don't even know what you're talking about. What are you, what are you talking about? Church, do we get it? I mean, I get it. We put all our emphasis and our focus in, in this life and in this world. Do I, do I get it? Am I putting more emphasis and more focus on my spiritual life than on my physical life? Do I, do I believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus asked the question, do, you, do I even understand it, God? John chapter 1. The resurrection. Church, instead of focusing on, on the physical and on the flesh and, and on, as we were speaking earlier about abundant living, if you will, you can't find it outside of Jesus. Fun in this life and in this world. Instead of focusing on that, focus on your spiritual life. Focus on your soul. That's what's important, church. The question was asked, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Don't ask church members that today because they'll give you an answer. The things I don't want to give up. Church, be willing to give up the things that are keeping you out of heaven. Focus on your soul. Because that's what life is. Right? Do, you, do you believe this? Jesus asked that, that question. And it's, it's simple, but at the same time, it's complex, isn't it? Because what is it that I have to give up? What I have to give up is different from what you have to give up. What do I have to give up to ensure my soul in my relationship with the Lord? To be in the eternal destiny, or my eternal destiny, to be with God forevermore in the light. In the light. As opposed to what? The darkness. And the suffering. And the agony. That's a nicer way of saying heaven versus hell. What do I have to give up to get to heaven so I don't find myself in hell? The light versus darkness. God is what he does and he does what he is. He is the light. Right? right? To be with God is the light. It is always forever enlightening to be with God. Every day of our lives, there's something new. There's something different. There's something enlightening. And there's something in the darkness every single day. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him. Now, folks still sometimes still struggle with that, the idea that Jesus is eternal. He was given, a, a body was prepared for Him. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Such a simple, such a simple, okay, I, I, Lord, I, I, I get that. Light, light shines in darkness and the darkness couldn't overpower it. Or, or, the, or I get that. I can take a flashlight in the dark and I can shine the light. And the light always overpowers the darkness. You, do you get it? Jesus always wins. He has always won, and he will always win. He is, is, and 
Am I walking in the darkness? Or am I walking in the light? The amazing thing is that I can turn my life around at any point and begin to walk in the light as opposed to walking in the darkness because of the great power of God. And John 8 and verse 12, and I might say, you might, we go through our lives, we go, well, you know, I really, I really, someone, someone said this to me, I really, I've really, really, really done a lot of damage to my body. I've done a lot of damage to my, to my life. And the great answer is, not more than grace. Not more than grace. Come on to Jesus. God will take you where you are, and then you, you change, you change, right? You change the repentance. He'll take you where you are, and then turn you into what he wants you to be. The light. That's what the light does. It overpowers the darkness. In John 8, in verse 12, the Bible says, Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. Do you have the light, Jesus? Thank you, God. Light and darkness. So simple, right? So it just is so water, bread, the way, the door, the resurrection, the life, the light. It, that's what we're supposed to, that's, that's who we're supposed to follow. Let's, let's wrap this up a bit. And then what an amazing thought. Jesus looks out at a crowd of people, thousands of people, and he, and he sees them in a, in, a, in a different way. He sees them as, as people with sheep, he says. They're sheep without a shepherd. In other words, he sees them as, as people who are hurting. They're hurting. That's what Jesus saw. He saw a people who were hurting. Well, we're going to Matthew 9. Who were struggling in their lives, in their walk of life. Who were, who were dealing with everyday life. And everyday life is complicated. Sometimes it's, it's confusing. And he looked out there and he saw these people and he saw these sheep who were vulnerable, right? Vulnerable and, and, and not the wisest in the world. But he looked over there and he said, those people need someone who knows what they're going through and who cares. They need a good shepherd. And that's what Jesus saw. And that's what Jesus sees in us. We need, we need God so desperately, don't we? I mean, I know we, we look pretty good this morning. Each of you, everyone's looking good this morning. You got all nice clothing. And you, you came and you're, you're looking wonderful. But the reality is, how many of us are broken? Maybe a little bit. How many of us are struggling? Just We hide it pretty good, though, don't we? But how many of us are broken? And when Jesus came and looked out at the audience and he saw us, what would he see? I think he'd see some broken people. Right inside that heart. Deep inside the heart. Just crushed and crumbled. And God looks at us and God says, these people need help. And he said, that's where I come in. I am the good shepherd. In verse 36 of Matthew chapter 9, 
And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed. They were, they were struggling. That, that's what he sees. We, we think we have it together. Church, we don't have it together. Right? I mean, the ER is over there, but this is the real ER, isn't it? Right, right across the street, you know, Alaska Regional. But the real one's right here. Something, something went on in your life. All of us, right? Every day. Every day. Are you walking with Jesus? Because this life, in reality, we're going to John 10. And then one more scripture, I'll let you go. In reality, in this life, this life really isn't that much fun. Oh, preacher, come on. We, we get to go fishing, and we get to go hunting. And we, I, I know. But if you could trade this life right now and go home and be with God right now, how many of you would, would want to go? And I would hope the whole audience would raise their hand and say, me, take me. But that wouldn't be the case. That wouldn't be the case. There's pain in this life. There's struggle. There's the agony and concern of other people for other people. Even for myself. There's, there's this thing called faithfulness and, and commitment and, and dedication. And I, and I find myself falling short here and there. There's just so many things in this life and and you know, you've been there. Jesus says, when I look out at my people, I see, I see a downcast group of people who are trying desperately to serve me, to fight the good fight of faith, to, to relieve themselves of the pressures of Satan. And this morning, you're here. And you know why you came here? Because you love God. This morning you're here and it took effort to get here. And maybe there's somebody this morning who is here who, who almost stayed home. But you made it. This morning when I look out in the audience, I see, I see wheelchairs. I see walkers. I see people who should be in a walker. I see struggle. Struggle. Right? Isn't it funny? We work all our lives to retire, and then you get a couple of years, and, and then it's all over. But that's what God is trying to tell us, is that it's not all over, for it's the beginning. The resurrection church. It's the beginning to be with God forevermore. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the downcast, for the contrite of spirit, for those who are suffering, for those who are struggling. The good shepherd lays down his life. 
And the good shepherd knows something. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Last scripture. I know you. Thank you, God. And when I pray to you, Lord, and I, and I, I don't necessarily run out of things to say. I, you know, your body starts aching. Well, I can only be on my knees, but for so long. Lord, I, Lord, I'm struggling in this prayer because my mind gets side. Lord, I'm just, Lord, I'm just struggling. And Jesus says, I know. Isn't that great? Isn't that great news? We're not people who are with a filled cup. Our cup overflows. It runneth over. In Exodus 3, in verse 13, we'll let you go. Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I shall tell them, or say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. I was, is. I is, is. And I will be, is. I know you want to correct that grammatically, but you can't. Because we're talking about God. He was, is. He is, is. And he will be, is. Tell them that he who is the great I am sent you. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And that's all that we need, church, is the great I am. The lesson is yours this morning. Perhaps there's someone that would like to surrender to God in the waters of baptism. The invitation is yours. Perhaps there's someone who would like prayers made on their behalf. The invitation is yours. Please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.